You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel 10 as we continue through the book of Samuel. You remember that the people were discontented with the rule of God and they wanted to be like the rest of the nations. They wanted a worldly leader. They wanted someone who could fight their battles for them, someone tangible. They wanted a king, a worldly king. And so they demanded one and Samuel prayed about it to the Lord and the Lord said, go ahead, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And so then he gave some, Samuel some instructions and we studied last week how God uses the circumstances of life, these, these donkeys that went missing and Saul went after these three donkeys and looked for them and looked for them, couldn't find them, and then brought him to Samuel whom God had already spoken to about the situation and was told, Samuel, that's your guy. That's going to be the king. And so then Samuel began to engage Saul and let him know, hey, I know you came because your donkeys are missing, but guess what? You're the the guy. I'm paraphrasing here. You're the guy, Saul. You're going to be the king. And he began to speak to him. And remember, we left off at the end of chapter 9 where they're walking out of the city and Samuel is sending Saul back to his dad for uh, the moment. But he sends the servant on separate and he says, hey, stand here a while because the Lord's going to announce his word to you. And that's where we are. And so we come into 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. It says, then Samuel took a flask This would be a a stone container of oil. This would be olive oil because olives were abundant in uh, growing in that area and they would press the olives to make oil. So this would be olive oil and he poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? Now, I just continue to put myself in the shoes of Saul and how crazy and strange this must have all been to him because he's standing there waiting to hear the word of the Lord and suddenly Samuel grabs this big flask of olive oil and dumps it on his head. It's not like what we do here when we anoint you with oil and we take a little bit and put it on your forehead and you know pray over you, which is wonderful, but this was a drenching of the olive oil over the head It's what the Bible talks about when it speaks of Aaron, the high priest, and it running over his head and down his beard. It's just dripping. The man is drenched in oil. And this anointing of oil, as you go back into the the history of Israel and the commands of the Lord, it was used as a consecration, a setting apart. And it was used as a setting apart of the items in the tabernacle, in the temple. They would would anoint these objects with oil. 
And then the priests were to be consecrated to the Lord through the anointing of the oil as well. And that was it up until this point. Now, the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We see that throughout the Bible. Remember the parable that Jesus taught of the the ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom, and, and some of them didn't have oil in their lamps. They were without the Holy Spirit. They were unready for the groom when he came. And, and, and we see it throughout the Scriptures that the oil is the Holy Spirit. And so this anointing was a symbol of the Holy Spirit consecrating the person for a special work, a special role, a vocation. And in this case, it was leadership. It was kingship. It was to be the commander of the Lord's people and of the Lord's army. And it was the first time, because it was the first king, but this was the first time that this anointing of oil would be on a person other than a priest or the objects that they used to anoint. And notice it says here, Samuel said when he anointed Saul, he said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And so that physical anointing comes after the Lord's anointing. The acknowledgement of man follows the act of God. And we follow this principle at Calvary Chapel that was passed on to us from Pastor Chuck of man doesn't designate a person and then ordain them. But instead, we look for someone who's already been ordained by God and say that person's already operating in their gift or in their pastoral gifting or, you know, whatever the gifting be. And then we acknowledge, wow, that person is serving. And, and God would say, hey, there's a deacon in the church, someone who's stepping up and leading in service. Or someone's teaching and they go out, they say, I just feel led to go out and start a home Bible study somewhere and it grows and grows and we all acknowledge, wow, the Lord has made that person a pastor. And so we ordain that person because God already did. We're simply acknowledging what God has done. It's interesting that we see here a commission upon Saul's life. He's being told, you're going to be the commander and and the chief here under God for the people. But we don't see the consummation of it yet. And this is a principle that we see in the scripture and perhaps you've seen it in your own life. I know I have in mine where God commissions you for a task, but it doesn't happen right away. He tells you something like you're going to do this, that or, or the other. And you're like, okay, I'm ready, Lord. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> There's going to, you're going to have to go through some training first. You're going to have to go through some stuff. And then there's this consummation or completion of what God has commissioned later on. Now, it's going to happen pretty quickly with Saul. With King David, on the other hand, he gets anointed and commissioned. And then it's a long period of time before his kingship is consummated and, he, and it's completed. And so we need to be patient. 
And when God brings a call, we wait on Him. I've told this story many times, but when I was uh, called to be pastor of Calvary Chapel Anaheim, it was, uh, gosh, how long has it been now? Ten years ago when I came back from Colorado and I was, uh, yeah, I was visiting. It was my brother's uh, funeral service here in Anaheim. And then Marvin came up and <laughs> he was walking away and I didn't think I'd ever see him again or hear from him again. And I said, Lord, it'd be so cool if you had a word for me from Marvin. And just then he stopped in his tracks as he was walking away from me. And he turned around in his walker and started coming back towards me. And I was just like, oh man, God's about to speak. And he literally came up into my ear and he said, I have a secret for you. And he said, someday, I don't know when, I'll be long gone, but someday you're going to be the pastor of Calvary Anaheim. And then he walked away, and those were the last words I ever heard him speak before the Lord took him home. And then fast forward seven years later, God calls us back from Colorado to do this transition, and you guys know the story who've been around with us. And, and so there's this commission, but then the consummation may not happen right away. And so we wait on the Lord, we be patient, and we let him do his work. In fact, when I moved to Colorado and I was living in my brother's basement just before he passed away, I was reading through the book of James and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, let patience have its perfect work. And I said, Lord, don't cut this short. It's a tough prayer, but it's a good prayer, friends. Don't cut this short. I want you to do the work in me that you want to do to prepare me for whatever it is you have, to do in me the good work you want to do. Some people are afraid to pray for patience. Have you heard that one? Don't pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, all these trials are going to come upon you. You're probably in a trial right now that you need patience for. So it's okay to pray for patience, friends. <laughs> it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to have patience. And it's a good prayer to pray. Don't let the devil rip you off. And so I prayed that prayer. Uh, there were times where I did regret it in the flesh. But in the spirit, no. And he's continuing that work in me. He's continuing that work in you. Now, I want to say that, you know, as we look at this anointing, we see it with the objects in the temple, the tabernacle. We see it with the priests. And now we see it with the kings, starting with King Saul here. But what about the common person? What about the you and the me? What about us? Good news, friends, that when the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit descended on those 120 disciples assembled in that upper room or the temple or wherever it be, scholars argue about that, descended upon them and there was something like tongues of fire and there's the rushing mighty wind the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. For you and for me, it's available. The anointing to be separated unto a work for the Lord. Take a look with me at 1 John 2, 20. It's up on the screen there. We're gonna do a couple short scriptures here. 1 John 2, 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. 
and you know all things. In context, he's speaking of spiritual discernment. You have spiritual discernment for what is false doctrine and what is true doctrine because you have an anointing or an unction from the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2, 27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And so again, this anointing for spiritual discernment and, friends, for the work of the Lord, for the work of of the Lord. God has given you a special anointing by His Holy Spirit. He's got a special purpose and a special plan for your life to function within the body of Christ. He's given you giftings and He's, he's empowered you. And so it's just a matter of now appropriating that power from the Holy Spirit, not resisting His work, but surrendering ourselves to Him and letting him do the work through us. Boy, there's nothing like it. Nothing like that relationship with God. When you think about your close relationships that you have, there has to be communication. So there's prayer right there. But also the shared experiences, you know, like brother, uh, like uh, military soldiers that go to war together and have that shared experience. They come back and that was like the defining time of their lives, you know, your brothers in arms, right? And so, um, also shared experiences with, with in, you know, in your, in your marriage relationship, you know, you're going out, you go on vacations, you do things together, you do life together, you work together, you serve together, you talk together, you go on dates, have romance, things like that. Those shared experiences bring us into close relationship. And so going out and serving with the Lord, co-laboring with him, recognizing it's God who works through me. It's the anointing that he's placed upon my life. It draws us closer to him, friends. As you step into ministry with him, as you serve, as you hear of opportunities and the Lord prompts your heart and says, serve my people, serve with me, let's co-labor together, you will find yourself closer to him as you share that experience with him, right? How many people can testify to that truth? Can't you testify to it? I think all the worship band people should raise their hand at this point. <laughs> and all the people serving, praise the Lord. There's just nothing like it because we love God's people, but we love him and we love working with him. Now let's go to verse two, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse two. When you have departed from me today, so he just dumps oil on him. And says, you're anointed to be commander over his inheritance, God's inheritance. Now, verse 2, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb. Now, this is, remember, Rachel is Jacob's second wife, mother of Joseph and Benjamin. She died giving birth to Benjamin. And so, in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worried about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Now, I put myself into 
uh, Kish's shoes right now. And, and he's worried for his son. He was worried for the lost donkeys. But we knew all along the donkeys are good and God's doing things in his son's life that he could, couldn't even imagine were happening to his son right now. And so God knows your concerns and your cares and he is working to remedy them in his time and his way and to actually bring them into something even better in your life. We just have to believe it in faith and go, you know what? God said it and I believe it and that settles it. God's doing something. He's doing something greater in me and he's doing something greater even for the circumstances. And we trust him and we cast our cares on him because he cares for us in those times of worry. Let's look at that scripture. We've got it on the screen here, 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he cares for you. He's got this. He loves you. He's going to take care of you even when you lose your donkeys and your child. Verse three, then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them. And they will be prophesying. Now, they're going to be singing and prophesying, right? Prophecy is hearing the voice of God and then speaking that to others, telling them, here's what God has said. They're going to be singing prophetically, singing God's words. And they're going to be praying or declaring God's word accompanied by music. Isn't that neat? I just love it. I love that. You know, sometimes the worship band will be just be singing and then there's this time of just instruments and then Cheyenne will start speaking a word. Isn't that a blessing? That's just a blessing. And it's biblical as we read it here with these prophets prophesying as they're playing the music. I remember one time I was eating over at the Main Place Mall and there was this evangelist there uh, who was going around at the different tables in the food court and sharing the gospel with people. And following him as he was going table to table was a guy on a guitar just singing worship songs. <laughs> this is in the main place mall. <laughs> I was almost in tears watching this guy go around. And, you know, and, and then as they were walking between tables, he's like, oh man, you're doing great, brother. It's really filling me with the spirit as I'm speaking to these people. And I was just like, wow, that is so cool. And so we get this idea here, right here early on with uh, with Saul as the, he's going to meet up with these prophets. Verse 6 now, it says, as Samuel continues to tell him 
prophetically what's going to happen to him in great detail. Verse 6, then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. Now, this, this phrase, will come upon you, in the Hebrew is rush upon you. What is that going to be like? Don't worry, you'll know it when it happens. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit like? Don't worry, you'll know it when it happens. Just ask Him for it. Don't sit back and, and go, you know what, I'm, that's weird, I'm scared, I just want an intellectual relationship with God, and that's it. And he says, well, I want more. I want to heal you emotionally. I'm not an emotional person. We're all emotional people. We were created to be emotional. Even, even non-Christian secular uh, scientists will tell you that, that something that distinguishes us, we're emotional creatures. We are emotional. And we're driven by our passions and by our emotions so much of the time. We don't think we are. But if we're to be honest with ourselves, our intellect, our mind, is much of the time ruled by our passions, what we want. And then we, our mind just justifies so that we can get what we want for ourselves. It's, it's the natural fleshly tendency. But God wants us to have a healthy emotional relationship with him. He wants to heal us emotionally from the emotional wounds of the past. And his Holy Spirit and the presence of his Holy Spirit brings healing. Now, some of us are more emotional than others, and that's okay. That's okay. But again, God would want to bring healing into any of us that have damage emotionally. And so here he's telling Saul, hey, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon you. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Whoa. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. You cannot turn yourself into another man, another person. You can change incrementally. You can kick an addiction and things like that with your will. That's possible. It's very difficult, but it's possible. But you cannot turn yourself into a different person. This is the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we see this as, as Samuel is telling Saul, look, you're going to be filled with, you're, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to be turned into another man, a man that is not just chasing lost donkeys and gives up after three days, but a man that is equipped to lead the people of God to be a king of a nation. And when the anointing is not quite there yet or hasn't come to full fruition, it's terrifying in the flesh. That's where our faith comes in. This is where Saul's faith has to come in. Okay, I'm not equipped to do this. I don't feel equipped and this is terrifying. Don't worry, Saul. You're going to become another man, and God is going to equip you to do this, to fulfill his call in your life. Verse 7, and let it be when these signs, when they come upon you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You know, there is a response to the occasion. 
When God visits us, there is an appropriate response that we should have. When we get saved, there's an appropriate response. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because you've been saved by God, by his grace, and he's done such a fabulous, wonderful work in your life, you're not going to hell, you get to go to heaven. What, what response does that occasion demand? Obedience? Absolutely. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of service. Another translation, worship. Worship. God, I worship you, not just in song, but with my whole life. All of it, it belongs to you. Where you say go, I go. When, that's when. Where, it's up to you, God, what do you say? Because I owe you everything everything. Do what the occasion demands. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.